WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Welcome to another episode of Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And I am Raymond Wiley, as usual. How's everyone out there doing tonight? I hope you're doing as good as I am. I'm doing well myself. Hello, everyone out there in Athens, Georgia. Beautiful Athens, Georgia. Yeah, listening in on WUOG 90.5 FM, the college radio station for the beautiful University of Georgia. And everyone listening on OmnisoundRadio1.net. That's right. Throughout the world on OmnisoundRadio1.net. If uh, you're interested in picking up uh, more information about our show, uh, if you like the interview you hear tonight, which might be, might be a little bit familiar to some of our <laughs> listeners, you can check out our website, www.wuog.org slash out there. Capitalize the O and the T and out there. Joe, what is on that website? Well, we've got all of our show archives, including like bibliographies and uh, all of our previous shows downloadable as MP3s, of course. There are also discussion forums in which various people are discussing various interesting things. You should go check it out. Right. We also post some new show announcements there, and you can also post show suggestions there because, uh, well, for instance, tonight's interview uh, was sparked a little bit by a show suggestion that was left on our forums. If oh, also, if you like our show, send us an email, outthereradio at gmail.com. Right, or chat with us. You can send me an a instant message on AOL Instant Messenger. Our screen name is Out There Radio. You can also log on to the omnisoundradio1.net chat rooms. There's uh, a good number of people out there tonight. Yeah, they're usually, uh, there's a lot of show hosts out there, so they usually hang around after the shows and before the shows. So We'll be there during the show. We, we are usually there during the show, especially tonight because we have a pre-recorded interview. Raymond, tell them about this interview. I got a this bre- is actually, let me just say one thing, though. This was a really fun interview. It, I really it enjoyed was. it. It was. Uh, it was the greater part of my day's work, and I really did enjoy it as well. And I felt like we, we got a guest who hits on topics, in especially his latest book of essays, that a number of topics that we have covered on previous episodes here on Out There, from MK Ultra to occult conspiracies, JFK. to the JFK assassination and joke religions. It's all here on Out There tonight, and it's going to be new to you if you're listening in Athens and probably on the podcast as well. But uh, if you're listening on the Omnisound Radio One Network this tonight, is odd. and yeah, <laughs> this, this is, is really odd. odd, and you happen to be tuning into the show before us, World of the Unexplained. Well, they also just happened to run an interview with our guest tonight, Adam Go Rightly. So uh, if you liked what you heard in World of the Unexplained tonight, <laughs> do stay tuned because you might hear some of the same, th- yeah, it, same if, things. Yeah, if you hated what you heard, you can stick around and boil a little while. Right, because we, we, <laughs> we get even deeper and esoteric than you could possibly imagine with this guy. And we throw out a lot of names that... Uh, well, it might be confusing. And, and if in they fact, are, this is the first segment of a two-part interview with Adam Right, Gerightly. so you're going to get more of this next week, an hour more of this next week. So get used to it here on Out There Radio. <laughs> no, I'm, we're, we're, we're kidding. We just think it's an interesting coincidence yeah. that 
both of these shows happen to be running sort of the same interview tonight. So we hope you enjoy what you hear here on Out There Radio. Uh, do we have any? We have a couple more announcements. Go ahead, man. Yeah, man. Uh, ne- like we said, next week uh, we're doing the second part of our Adam Go Rightly interview tonight. We're going to be talking about the JFK assassination, Carrie Thornley, Discordianism, and some other things. Some mind control stuff. Some mind control yeah. stuff. And then next week we're going to do just a sort of hodgepodge of everything, including information about James Shelby Dannard. If you uh, oh, in- with an exclusive reading from Adam Go Rightly from the book he's working on as we speak. That's exactly right, and. If you tuned in, if you've listened to our podcast or if you've been listening to us since the beginning, you'll remember one of our very first episodes was on conspiracy theorist James Shelby Downard and his sort of crazy uh, Freemasonic ideas or anti-Freemasonic ideas as they were. Well, we uh, come all the way full circle back around next week on the second to last episode of the season of Out There Radio. And so, yeah. Uh, I think we announced this last week, but we should go ahead and announce it again. Uh, two weeks from tonight, August the 7th, Monday night, will be our Season 1 finale, our final night on WUOG and on a college radio station. If you're listening on Omnisound, nothing really will change. However, if you're listening on uh, on WUOG here in Athens, then you won't be able to anymore because it'll be our last show. August 7th? Is- August the 7th. It'll be a two-hour special. It's a big surprise even to us yeah. at this point. Check out our yeah. Check out um, our website or send us an email and fi- and to ask us how you can continue listening. Right, and the, I don't think anything will change if you subscribe to the podcast. But if yeah. something does, we'll make sure to we'll put very you know. specific instructions and in a download for you. And uh, you know, Joe, I think that's really about it for this. Let's evening. get to this interview, yeah. man. Let's yeah. Do oh, it. oh, oh, yeah. we have to give a shout out to uh, Dan Kiever tonight oh, okay. from the Grady School of Telecommunications who was nice enough to loan us some phone equipment so we could get this interview taken care of today. The wheels of bureaucracy sometimes turn slowly in a state-funded station, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a good thing that we could get a little help from our friends across the street. So thanks to everybody at the Grady School who helped us out with the equipment tonight, and thanks to Stephen who is out in the booth being a cool-as-hell producer. As usual. Just like always. So, Stephen, you ready to kick us over to this interview with Adam Go Rightly? Okay, everybody, enjoy the first half of our interview. We are here today with author Adam Go Rightly. Adam, how are you doing today? Very good, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on the show. You you have written several books. Let me just go through some of the books that you've written. The Beast of Adam Go Rightly is probably your most recent one, The Collected Rantings, 1992-2004. That's uh, pretty much a grab bag of a whole bunch of topics. You've also written Prankster and the Conspiracy, the story of Carrie Thornley and how he met Oswald and inspired the counterculture, and The Shadow over Santa Susanna, Black Magic, Mind Control, and the Manson Family Mythos as well as a book called Death Cult, which I understand is very similar to the Manson book. Uh, yeah, basically it's um, excerpts from the uh, Manson book uh, with uh, additional material thrown in there on the uh, Process Church of the Final uh, Judgment ah. and a few other tidbits. Now, you've been, uh, you refer to yourself as a crackpot historian. <laughs> That's correct. Now, does that mean, Adam, that you're the crackpot, or is it, or is it crackpot history that you're documenting? Oh, a little bit of both. <laughs> Primarily, <laughs> I don't know where I come up with these things, but uh, right in a press release one time, I referred to myself as that. But I like to uh, write about uh, interesting uh, characters, such as Carrie Thornley and Rock and Rollin' Stewart, the Rainbow Man, and on and on and on. So... Uh, yeah, I like 
that's where the crackpot historian comes in. I write about crackpots, and I'm a little crack sometimes <laughs> myself as well. Well, we're glad to have you on the show because I think that we're kind of we're kind of the same way, very similar. Absolutely. I, I uh, let me uh, say that you know I write about uh, serious uh, subject matter, but then again, I don't want to uh, want people to take me too seriously because I don't take myself too seriously. That's I think that's you know I've always thought that that's sort of a good way to be, and it seems like um, discordianism has been a big influence on you and your writing. Sure, yeah. Can you talk That's about that a little bit? Well, you know, the background on Discordianism is the uh, spoof religion that, uh, quote-unquote spoof religion, that uh, Carrie Thornley uh, and Greg Hill uh, came up with in a uh, bowling alley in Southern California, of all places, back in the uh, late uh, 50s. And, and the end result, really, of uh, Discordianism was a sort of... Uh, social experiment, I think, uh, basically uh, giving uh, consensus reality a goose, <laughs> as I uh, say in my uh, book. So, um, or a turkey curse, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, sure, it's been a huge influence in interviewing the uh, various folks uh, during the course of uh, the uh, Thornley book, you know, I met some really inspiring people, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who I'm sure you all know, oh, yeah. and Louise Lacey, and that whole uh, circle of people you can't help but be uh, inspired and influenced by. Now, I found the Thornley book fascinating, personally. I first came across uh, work by Carrie Thornley in uh, Jim Keith's book, Secret and Suppressed, where uh, Thornley has an essay called, I believe it's called, is paranoia a higher form of awareness? Something along those lines. Yeah, I think he uh, quoted Charles Manson. <laughs> yes, he did actually. Um, I think because Manson was saying something very similar around the same time, or I guess back in the early 70s. Yeah, I got interested in Thornley. Uh, I really started getting hot and heavy into uh, writing articles and essays on uh, conspiracy uh, theories, paranormal, and all that type subject matter in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, when the uh, zine movement, uh, zine revolution first got going, and really a short-lived uh, phenomena, period of five or ten years, there were all these self-published periodicals were uh, coming out, and uh, really uh, stuff you couldn't find in the mainstream uh, press talking about all this kind of high weirdness I was into, and during that period, I started seeing articles by this Carrie uh, Thornley character, and I had no idea who he was at that point, and I couldn't really uh, make a lot of sense out of a lot of the things he was writing about, but uh, something resonated or interested me in uh, Thornley, so I kind of remembered the name, and... Um, then in the uh, early 90s, a book came out called uh, Conspiracy Cover-Ups cover and Crimes by uh, Jonathan Vinkin and John Whalen, I believe. And in that, they had a um, chapter on uh, Thornley, and uh, really just uh, blew my mind that uh, stuff I wasn't aware of, that uh, he had known uh, Oswald been in the Marines with Oswald and was actually writing a book about uh, Oswald before the uh, Kennedy assassination. And in that piece, uh, Thornley made uh, made other really wild uh, claims that he had been part of a uh, 
Nazi genetic uh, breeding mind control experiment and that and on and on and on. So I, I was just uh, kind of blown away by this material and it uh, really uh, interested me and made me want to find out more. Uh, at that time, Vinken and uh, I believe John Vinken was kicking around the idea of writing a biography of a Thornley, which never came to be. And so um, eventually I decided uh, I was the uh, man to <laughs> take on that task, and uh, that it was an inter interesting ride. I'm glad someone wrote that biography, because is yours the only one out there right now, that uh, a biography of Thornley? Yeah, if you uh, went on to Amazon and looked... Uh, did a search for Carrie Thornley. I'm the only biography. There is another book called Histories uh, in History's Shadow, I believe, and I uh, can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. Not really a uh, biography of uh, Thornley, but more on uh, the Jim Garrison uh, investigation. So those are really the only two books about Thornley out there, and I, I haven't heard of uh, anything else uh, coming down the pike. Wow, it's amazing that in your first readings of him, that 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 connection in his life, you know, sort of doesn't come out at all. Did he did he just not talk about it anecdotally in his writings at all, or the connection in his life? Yeah, with Oswald. Oh, he actually he did. As I got more into uh, researching the uh, Kennedy assassination, this is uh, late eighties, nineties. Uh, you know, uh, I I found uh, some. Uh, manuscripts, you know, as part of the zine movement going on, uh, as I referred to, all these self-published stuff, and Thornley at that time was uh, making this stuff available uh, to the uh, public, and uh, one uh, manuscript or uh, zine was called Dreadlock Recole Recollections, where he uh, got into that uh, whole period about the uh, Jim Garrison investigation and his uh, subsequent uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories that evolved out of that period in his life. Can you sort of just take us through maybe a, you know, a brief narrative about his involvement with Garrison and Oswald and the assassination itself? Like, why would... Uh, your book... Uh, I don't know how briefly I can do it. <laughs> well, you know, if, if it takes a half hour, then that's good enough. <laughs> I'll certainly try to tackle it um, uh, the history with uh, Thornley and Oswald uh, goes back to the Marines in the late uh, 50s. Kerry enlisted. Uh, he'd been in the uh, reserve, so he wanted uh, to f fulfill his uh, active duty and I think avoid uh, going to Vietnam because I think he saw that on the horizon. So he enlisted. One or two years stint uh, and... Uh, first place he was stationed was at El Toro Marine Base in Southern California, not too far from his home, and it was uh, there that he met Oswald. Oswald had been in the Marines now for a few years, and before that had uh, been uh, at the Atsugi Air Base in Japan, where the uh, U-2 missions were uh, flown out of, mm -hmm. right. and uh, apparently uh, he was a radar guy, had security clearance and all the that type of thing, but when he, when Oswald got back to El Toro Marine Base, and this was the same period that uh, Thornley was there, uh, he uh, had the uh, rank of a private, you know, which was really odd because uh, 
most people uh, come back after uh, serving at, or at least a corporal uh, rank uh, and Oswald had gotten into uh, trouble for whatever reason so he was kind of a uh, black sheep and of course Thornley immediately uh, connected with him and uh, <laughs> they had some interesting uh, conversations about uh, both were studying communism at that point and taught philosophy and religion and politics and all these things. Really, they just knew each other for a short uh, period of time there before uh, Thornley got shipped off uh, to the same place that Oswald had been, Atsugi uh, Air Base in Japan. On the uh, trip over there, Thornley started uh, writing a uh, book uh, called Idle Warriors, uh, which was uh, kind of about uh, the malaise of uh, Marines uh, serving in the Far East, the discontent during that uh, period. And he based the uh, protagonist in that book, Johnny Shelbourne, was kind of a composite character uh, made up of several Marines he knew, including uh, Oswald. So uh, during the uh, period uh, Thornley was over there in uh, Japan, uh, was the time uh, Oswald defected, and uh, at that point the shift in focus, uh, the book changed, and he, from that point forward, he based it entirely on Oswald. So that that's the first uh, curiosity there that uh, Thornley was writing a book about Oswald several years before the uh, Kennedy assassination. Now we move forward to. Uh, just New a, Orleans. Before, but just a quick uh, question, mm -hmm. Adam. Was it around that time that Thornley started hearing voices? Pardon me? Was it around that time that Thornley started hearing voices or having, uh, I guess, auditory delusions? I, I, in the book, it mentions that while he was in the Marines. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that you mentioned that, uh, uh, yeah, I remember it now. He, um, he talked about that... Uh, in some of his later writings that uh, he did start having these audio uh, hallucinations. Uh, a little disclaimer here. Uh, Thornley came up with a lot of material uh, after the Garrison investigation uh, that uh, a lot of people uh, considered uh, was uh, delusional or paranoid thinking, so that might have been an outgrowth that these are uh, type of memories uh, were actually delusions and didn't happen, but uh, I believe there's substance to it. And what makes it uh, interesting that he talked about these um, audio hallucinations he was uh, having during that uh, period, he, he, he was pointing to uh, mind control that uh, perhaps he and Oswald might have been victims of. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, I found out uh, later in a Rolling Stone articles that the Atsugi was actually a base for uh, some uh, MKUltra experiments during that uh, period and that uh, Thornley and Oswald and uh, might have been sucked into that. Thornley uh, definitely believed he had been. And uh, E. Howard Hunt, who later uh, his name comes up in the... Uh, Name comes up everywhere, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I found out that he was at uh, Atsugi during the same period that uh, Oswald and Thornley uh, were there. That that little factoid will become uh, more compelling as we uh, move on in the timeline here. For our listeners, by the way, Hunt is a notorious 
spook for the CIA who is involved in everything from Bay of Pigs to Watergate and probably a lot more. Right. The whole conspiratorial history of the Cold War you can follow. If you just follow Howard Hunt from month to month, <laughs> yeah. you basically had it right there. There was a lot of evidence that he was in uh, Daily Plaza oh, yeah. on the day of Kennedy's assassination as well. Yeah, uh, supposedly he was one of the... Um, the three hobos that are in the that are pictures. There are pictures of these guys too, and one of them looks just dead like Hunt. Right. Have you heard the uh, that one of them has possibly also been identified as Charles Harrelson? Right, Woody Harrelson's uh, father. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I've heard I've heard that. Uh, they've been identified as a uh, as three tramps, and we can get into that a little bit more. But all the way from. Uh, Fred Crisman is another uh, name that uh, comes up. Uh, as you mentioned, Harrelson. Frank Sturgis has been identified as one of the uh, tramps. He was also involved with uh, Hunt and Watergate and the uh, Bay of Pigs. And, you know, a lot of people believe the same apparatus that uh, a lot of the same folks involved in the uh, failed Bay of Pigs invasion were, were uh, involved conspired on the hit uh, on Kennedy to get back uh, on Kennedy for, you know, pulling out his support during the uh, Bay of Pigs. So going back to Atsugi, I guess, was where we had left off. Well, we can, yeah, move forward uh, to New Orleans. Uh, Kerry uh, got out of the Marines early 60s and uh, was a budding young writer, so he wanted to see the world and uh, experience things, and he thought uh, New Orleans would be a good place to uh, uh, move for a while. Had some interesting adventures there, and he uh, was working on a book uh, during that uh, period, I believe it was called The Colored Will, and he uh, it was going to be a book uh, based on the New Orleans subculture and uh, gangsters and mafias and all these type of things, and uh, so he sought out to meet colorful characters, and a uh, couple of those characters uh, were named uh, Slim, and another fellow went by the name of a brother-in-law, who was named uh, Gary Kirsten, and both of these uh, characters claimed to have ties to the underworld and intelligence agencies, so Kerry started meeting with these fellows and had some pretty lengthy uh, conversations on a lot of different uh, subjects, and one was a uh, theoretical conversation on how to kill a uh, president, and namely uh, JFK. Uh, at the time, Kerry just considered uh, these conversations nothing more than some kind of uh, morbid uh, intellectual ec- exercise, but... Uh, Later, these uh, conversations uh, came back to haunt him. Right. Now, is this the same uh, conversation that Garrison talks about in, in the trial, where sh- supposedly Clay Shaw and David Ferry were both there in the room? I don't uh, believe so. Uh, after, after the uh, Garrison uh, probe, uh, several years later, uh, Kerry came forth uh, claiming that he had indeed, uh, at one time or another, uh, met uh, Ferry and Clay Shaw during this period, but uh, these revelations didn't uh, surface until uh, you know a few years after the Garrison investigation when these mem- memories started uh, bubbling up in Kerry, uh, and uh, you know, perhaps Kerry had been 
mind-controlled and there was some form of amnesia placed on him. Uh, and we can talk about, uh, you know, what triggered these uh, memories uh, happened uh, a decade uh, later uh, in the uh, early 70s where Kerry uh, came across a, an article uh, dealing with the uh, three tramps uh, that we talked about in uh, Daily Plaza that day and uh, the material for this uh, magazine article, which was, I believe was in the Yipster Times, later appeared in the book Coup d'etat in America, an acronym for the uh, CIA. And it was that, in that book, they had uh, uh, photos of the uh, three tramps. And uh, the uh, tramp identified as the old man tramp, uh, Carrie immediately recognized as being none other than, drumroll please, uh, <laughs> E. Howard Hunt. Yep. And once uh, he saw that, these memories started uh, coming back about you know all these meetings he had with these characters in New Orleans, and uh, he began to expect that he'd been... Uh, used as a pawn in some way or another in the uh, Kennedy assassination parade. So Thornley is basically the first source, solid source, that we can point to that points to the connection between the picture of the hobos and pictures of Howard Hunt. Um, let me think about that a little bit. Uh, um, are you folks uh, familiar with uh, May Russell? Only, only through the Thornley book that you wrote. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wrote uh, some of the first pieces, uh, kind of tying together uh, the uh, Watergate affair and Bay of Pigs and all this uh, prior to uh, the whole uh, Watergate uh, scandal coming down and Nixon uh, resigning. So she was on to a lot of this stuff. I don't know if she actually tied. E. Howard Hunt to the uh, three tramps. Now, Thornley later later on, as you said, uh, all of these memories started coming back to him, and he remembered one of the one of these memories was that this character brother-in-law that he was involved with in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he thought that he was E. Howard Hunt. Exactly. Did I forget to mention? That? I don't think you mentioned. Raymond, did he mention? That? <laughs> I don't believe so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that's a really interesting point of the story. Yeah, this gets so convoluted, I forget to uh, <laughs> type pieces together sometimes. But yeah, that's uh, that's why I started remembering those uh, conversations, because yeah, he, when he saw that uh, picture of the uh, tramp as the old man, and uh, he identified him with uh, brother-in-law, and it, actually it was A.J. Weberman who was claiming... Uh, the old man tramp was uh, he How- E. Howard Hunt. So, yeah, that's how that all fits. So, let's see, we've talked about... Let's talk about Thornley going through the garrison affair. Was he hounded? Was he brought into court? Did they make him do a sworn deposition or something like that? Uh, actually, he never did, and he never made it uh, into court. There was a grand jury uh, put together, and uh, Thornley was indicted... Uh, and uh, Garrison claimed that uh, Kerry was uh, part of a uh, network of CIA operatives who uh, were part of uh, basically the uh, framing of uh, Oswald. And uh, after uh, 
Clay Shaw was uh, acquitted in around 1970. Uh, the uh, charges against uh, Thornley were uh, dropped. Uh, Garrison uh, claimed that uh, really the uh, government and the CIA were uh, sabotaging the case, and that uh, that's why he didn't uh, move forward. Now, getting back uh, to New Orleans, uh, one of the uh, principal witnesses against uh, Thornley was a uh, self-described uh, witch and uh, person on the uh, Bohemian fringe there in New Orleans by the name of uh, Barbara Reed, and she claimed that uh, she saw Oswald and uh, Thornley together uh, in New Orleans uh, during that period. It was like 61 or so. And so that's part of the uh, evidence, her statement, that uh, Garrison based his uh, case on. Thornley uh, claimed that he had no contact with Oswald during this period, though it's, uh, you know, New Orleans and the French Court of that area where they both were at, it's pretty, they, really a pretty small area, and it's hard to, to believe that they didn't uh, cross tracks at one time or another, uh, Later on, uh, once uh, as uh, Kerry's memories uh, started coming back to him, he believed that uh, maybe he did uh, meet uh, Oswald uh, during that period, but once again he'd been mind-controlled and both uh, he and Oswald had been uh, used in some way or another. Um, now, uh, Thornley uh, wrote a book after the uh, Kennedy assassination and... Uh, can't remember uh, what it was called. Uh, yeah, it was just called Oswald. In fact, uh, Thornley uh, appeared before the uh, Warren Commission talking about the uh, period he knew uh, Oswald. And Garrison claimed that, that this book was basically uh, uh, something that had been manufactured to uh, paint Oswald as a lone nut commie agitator to set him up for the uh, Kennedy assassination and they were claiming Garrison was that was uh, part of uh, Thornley's uh, role in this whole thing uh, you know to uh, paint this picture of uh, Oswald as this uh, gun-wielding uh, commie that uh, had a score to, with uh, Kennedy to uh, settle. Garrison also claimed that uh, Thornley was one of the notorious Oswald doubles that uh, were also running around. It's been documented that they were uh, portraying Oswald uh, in uh, New Orleans and Dallas. Uh, Mexico and, City, right? And Mexico City as well. And uh, basically going around, and, uh, uh, for instance, uh, one of these Oswald doubles went to a target shooting range and uh, caused a big ruckus, started shooting at other people's targets. Uh, there there were several incidents where it was later discovered that uh, Oswald, the real Oswald, was uh, could be shown he was at some other place at that time. So a pattern started uh, merging. This was written about in a book called uh, by... Uh, Richard Popkin, I think it was called the Oswald Double, uh, where he started documenting this uh, pattern that uh, it appeared that uh, certain parties were painting this uh, picture and creating this uh, history of Oswald uh, uh, to set
set him up for the Kennedy assassination. Has it ever been claimed that it perhaps wasn't even his voice that appeared on some of the radio broadcasts or the radio recordings that have since been used to sort of connect him to communism? <laughs> um, boy, you get into some interesting stuff there. Have you heard the uh, album Portrait in Red? I have a copy of that I stumbled across years ago, and uh, that that's the re- uh, recording of Oswald, supposedly, uh, in New Orleans uh, during that period, uh, radio interview, uh, doing, you know, going on a, about a uh, communist uh, rant, how good communism is, and uh, I believe I wrote about it in the book, the... Uh, radio station that conducted this interview as well as the uh, group uh, that put out the uh, record album that was later once again shown that they had uh, connection uh, to the CIA were in fact a uh, CIA front and so that, that you know that's more uh, tenuous evidence there that uh, there was a whole apparatus there uh, creating this picture and Oswald himself might have been a dupe playing a, a part, you know, uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that he was some type of intelligence operative, and he might have just been, uh, you know, uh, playing the role of an agent provocateur to um, infiltrate uh, different uh, subversive, quote-unquote, subversive organizations during that period in New Orleans, uh, you know, it was just on a need-to-know basis, go infiltrate and get in with these guys, and all the while he was, uh, you know, being uh, set up as this uh, lone nut uh, commie. Does, doesn't this get convoluted? It, gets it, it absolutely does. Let me, let, me, let me add a little bit to the mix. So why do you think, and I'm, I think I sort of expect what the answer is going to be, but why, why did Garrison think that Thornley was involved at all? What, were his, what was his motivation for that? Just having known Oswald, is that enough, or... Well, the uh, witness statement of Barbara Reed there uh, really got him uh, going, and uh, I'm not sure how much uh, solid evidence uh, he really had, but once, uh, you know, Garrison got it in for uh, somebody like he did uh, for Thornley, you know, he was like a dog with a bone. Now, one of the most interesting things about the whole story is that, to me, it seems that Thornley ended up becoming convinced himself that he had something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, well, during the uh, Garrison probe, uh, Kerry continually denied this stuff and uh, thought uh, that uh, Garrison was really off uh, track and was abusing uh, you know, the powers of his office as the DA in uh, New Orleans. But uh, then in later years... Uh, once again, as these memories started coming back, that he, he remembered meeting Clay Shaw and Ferry and all these folks, he believed that uh, Garrison was actually on the right track. Interesting. Didn't And Thornley also had some sort of strange connections. You, you had mentioned that he was writing a book about the mafia underground in New Orleans at the time, but um, I guess the local mafia boss was, was Carlos, Carlos Marcello, is that his mm-hmm. name? Uh, Thornley had some strange connections with, with Marcello's organization too, didn't he? He did, uh, not so much Marcello, and, uh, you know, this is where uh, the intelligence organizations, operatives, uh, overlap with the mafia, because uh, Ferry actually uh, worked for Marcello. Now, 
in uh, a few years later, it's around 64, after the uh, Kennedy assassination, uh, Thornley was working as a uh, doorman in uh, Los Angeles and uh, worked in the uh, same building where Johnny Roselli lived. And Roselli had been targeted as one of the uh, players in the uh, Kennedy assassination. He was part of... Uh, Marcello's organization and so once again it was another one of those odd occurrences that Carrie knew Roselli and they actually spent some time together you know talking about these things a lot of people point to you know these type of connections and say you know uh, it couldn't all have just been uh, coincidence that Carrie bumped into all these uh people that he uh, was indeed some type of intelligence operative and that uh, as a cover you know in later years Kerry used this smoke screen that he was uh, a paranoid delusional and part of the uh, hippie movement he took too much acid and burned out and, but uh, you know actually all this was a cover I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to that uh, theory myself I've heard some people make, and this is really weird that I would say this, but I've heard people make some of the same arguments about Hunter S. Thompson. He's been sort of connected closely to some strange figures. Yeah, um, with uh, Thompson, uh, some of the allegations that uh, came up, uh, I believe it was in the Franklin cover-up book, or uh, people who were involved in that uh, uh, case, uh, there was some... Uh, anecdotal stories about Thompson being at uh, Bohemian Grove, yeah, you know, yeah. where they have all the uh, Illuminati rituals and sacrifice right. babies and right. Kissinger and all these people involved. And someone uh, claimed uh, that uh, Thompson was there uh, photographing, uh, doing uh, videos of uh, some of these uh, ceremonies. The period that they said he was there, and once again, I'm trying to, I think it might have been covered in, might have been in the Franklin cover-up book, but the period they were saying he was there was in the uh, early, mid-80s, and uh, Thompson was living in uh, San Francisco during that time, working for the O'Farrell brothers, who had the huge uh, porn uh, business going on. Right. And... Uh, so he had supposedly been directing films for them. Right. So, you know, there might be some connection there. What I think it is is basically just a red herring and misinformation uh, put out just to uh, muddy the waters, uh, uh, you know. And, uh, about his message, I suppose. Cause he made some very hard comments about 9-11 oh, yeah, months yeah. before he died. And that, oh, that's yeah. a very provocative interview. I don't know if any of our listeners have had a chance to check that out. I've, I've had an opportunity to listen to that, and it uh, blew me away. Um, because nobody was saying that back when he was... I mean, this right. was like 2000... This was, this was when we were going into Afghanistan. He was yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, Thompson was never one to subscribe to a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, so it was interesting that he uh, really thought there was some uh, bad doings on the part of our government going on with uh, 9-11. Of course, he, uh, not too long after that, uh, 
he assumes room temperature, as uh, Rush Limbaugh would say. Right, just like Gary Webb and so many others. Yeah. Well, let's go back to um, Thornley's later life and his later career and talk a little bit about his paranoia and some of the writings he did in his, his sort of last part of his career. To get to the last part, probably need to backtrack a bit, and I'd mentioned Kerry's uh, involvement uh, with Discordianism, uh, which started in the uh, late 50s. He and Gray Kill came up with or discovered or had a uh, vision or <laughs> whatever the case may be and came up with this uh, spoof religion, Discordianism. It uh, basically was just uh, four or five people, an in-joke among them. Gray, his friend Gray Kill uh, put together a book uh, called The Principia Discordia and uh, Carrie uh, took a part in that uh, book and it basically became a sort of uh, collage of different writers who got involved with with the project over the years. It really became a kind of an art project, sociological experiment. So in the uh, latter 60s, uh, the uh, Principia Discordia, I should mention, the, the first uh, edition was like uh, five copies and was printed, of all things, on uh, at Jim Garrison's office <laughs> in New Orleans. This is, you know, before the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Thornley and Gray Kill, who was also in New Orleans at that time, had a friend there, so, you know, <laughs> that's another oddity. Right, my immediate response to that is just hail heiress. And, um, so, as we moved into the mid to late 60s, there was subsequent editions, and each edition of the Principia Discordia was a little different, and it started making its way into the uh, underground counterculture subculture, and uh, people started picking up on this, and uh, so it, uh, it, be, it became known in the underground uh, such people as uh, Robert Anton Wilson and uh, Camden Benares and these other writers started getting involved in this uh, Discordian uh, network. As uh, time progressed, uh, <laughs> Garrison at one point believed that uh, the Discordian society was some kind of CIA front, <laughs> oddly enough. And uh, as in the uh, early 70s, uh, it appears, uh, you know, as Kerry started having his memories of what actually he, he believed his role was in the Kennedy assassination and that he'd become a mind-controlled dupe, he started having suspicion about all his friends that they were also part of the conspiracy. And as I noted in the uh, book, uh, at one point he started believing that uh, Robert Anton Wilson was one of his uh, CIA handlers. <laughs> yeah. Of all the people to be a CIA <laughs> agent, I would not pick R.A.W. at all. And uh, so uh, as far as the material that, uh, the books that uh, Kerry wrote over the years, it's pretty uh, uh, sparse. He wrote a ton of stuff, but a lot of it was self-published. The uh, main, more mainstream books uh, were really championed by uh, Ron Bonds, at Illuminate Press. Uh, right here in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, Kerry uh, lived uh, there in the Little Five Points for uh, 
many years. And uh, well, he lived in the back of a shop, right, or something like that. Lived in. Are you familiar with acapella books? Oh yeah, I used to. I I lived in Atlanta for ten years, about a mile from Little Five Points. That was my favorite bookstore. I lived there from '92 to 2000. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, getting off on a tangent here, but uh, Carrie lived there off and on uh, for years. Uh, you know, uh, primarily uh, that's where he was the last uh, ten years or so. And he he worked all around. Uh, he probably washed dishes in every uh, restaurant there in Little Five Points. And at one point, he uh, got a job at Acapella Books. Uh, According to the guy who runs the shop, still does Frank Reese. Uh, he was a real good employee, but uh, he had a lot of uh, there's a lot of homeless or uh, you know uh, type of uh, people, or a lot of it were a lot of uh, just homeless kids that Kerry kind of became a hero to, and they'd come and visit him there at uh, Acapella Books, and uh, after a while, it just got too uh, crazy all the scenes that were happening, so he moved on from there, but. He lived in the back of acapella books for uh, quite a while, a couple of uh, years, and uh, the space now is uh, occupied. If you're familiar, there's some kind of restaurant uh, behind yeah, acapella it, books. Last I think. time I saw it was a, like a tea restaurant or yeah, something I, like that. And I think part of that space back there was, uh, you know, it was just like a uh, small little. Uh, boiler room space that Kerry uh, lived in, but uh, yeah, he did indeed live in Acapella Books, and I went back there in 2003 and uh, gave a uh, presentation on the uh, Thornley book, had a uh, good time, neat little uh, corner of the world. Yeah. Um, we were talking about uh, Ron Bonds who, of Illuminate Press, who's passed on uh, under mysterious circumstances, some would say. He was the champion of Thornley, and he brought back, uh, actually published for the first time, Carrie's book, The uh, Idle Warriors, which was based on uh, Oswald. That was in around 91. And also uh, published Carrie's uh, book, uh, Zenarchy. And uh, those were only the really t two uh, Thornley books that were uh, published. Uh, Bonds was also looking at... Uh, Publishing Carrie's uh, Dreadlock Recollections uh, before he died, and that was uh, Carrie's remembrances of uh, his alleged or perceived involvement in the uh, Kennedy assassination. I guess uh, <laughs> some would uh, put sinister connotations on, you know, Ron Bond's uh, death uh, regarding uh, possibly printing that material. Of course. Uh, well, Illuminate published a whole lot of well, material. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say, all kinds of controversial. Yeah, they, they published a lot of Jim Keith books at the time. He's dead now, too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they uh, both died around the uh, oh, late 90s. Uh, and um, it, it, it's interesting to note, I had uh, contacted uh, Ron Bonds, and he had a, uh, somehow came across a wealth of... Uh, several boxes of uh, Thornley's materials that he wasn't sure what he was going to do with. And I was negotiating with him on getting some of that material right before he died. So never get, never got my hands on it. But uh, Jim Keith, uh, who, you know, he mentioned uh, Luminette published a lot of his books. 
during that same period, right before he died, Keith had actually uh, began began working real closely with the Luminette Press and became uh, an editor there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's interesting to note that close association that both of those guys died. Real, real nice gentlemen, uh, you know, died around that uh, same period. And some suggest, you know, it was a result of all their activities <laughs> mm. writing about these uh, subjects. I feel almost lucky having lived in Atlanta throughout the 90s because uh, my favorite bookstores around Atlanta, almost almost all of them carried most of the Illuminate titles at the time, which mm-hmm. was really it was really nice to have access to all that stuff I felt like that not many other people would have had access and, to. And it's strange how all of these particularly... 90s icons of conspiracy theory and publishing all seem to end up dead, you know, with those two, and then, of course, William Cooper, and then mm-hmm. how, how many others that we don't know about and that we can't name, you know. Sure. Um, Danny Casolaro. Oh, yeah. That was more in the uh, 80s he died. Uh, you know, he had put together the octopus uh, theory, tying in a lot of different... Uh, elements of the uh, government uh, to a grand overall the conspiracy involved in a lot of uh, nasty uh, business. He he died under very mysterious uh, circumstances and uh, Keith and uh, my friend Ken Thomas wrote a uh, book about that called uh, The Octopus of course so you know there's some other controversial material uh, I often talk to Ken Thomas, you know, <laughs> about jokingly, is he the next one on the uh, list? And uh, his philosophy, uh, basically the same of mine, you know, if you find a passion and love for something, and you need to move forward. You can't always be uh, looking over your back. That's exactly what they, quote, <laughs> right. they want you to do. You need to move forward. Here, here. Well, this is kind of uh, tangential, but do you think that uh, Phil Schneider would belong on a list like that? Because I've, I've, a lot of people have sort of claimed charlatanism out of his work. And I sort of, uh, Are you familiar with his work? He talked about the Dulcie Bass. And UFOs yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the book Chica Bruce uh, did on him. Mm-hmm. No. Have you re- have you she, read was, that? she was involved in the Montauk Project. Raymond, I was talking to you about this actually about an hour ago. <laughs> Chica Bruce was, um, I saw an interview with her with um, Richard Metzger online yesterday. Great stuff, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure where I was uh, going. I'm not that familiar with uh, uh, the whole Schneider uh, thing, so... I gotcha. Let me, let me just ask a question, Adam, to wrap up the this uh, Thornley segment. First of all, um, what's your take on his his role his role in the JFK assassination and this whole web of conspiracy he's caught up in? And it, what's your take on that? And also, maybe as a follow up, because I find the whole influence of discordianism in Carrie's life very very interesting, mm-hmm. in that it was invented as a sort of spoof religion. But and I don't know what your take on occult magic. Uh, kind of thing is, but for many people, you know, magic works, and even something that's sort of intended as tongue-in-cheek at first ended up kind of seemingly, got, <laughs> you know, got the best of him in the end. Well, that's, uh, I wrote about in the book, there's a uh, quote uh, 
of the Thornleys if he uh, knew that creating this uh, goddess of chaos was going to bring so much uh, madness into his life, he would have uh, worshipped Venus instead. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, once, once you start looking into these uh, strange uh, areas, you know, uh, there, there was a lot of synchronicities involved in writing the uh, Thornley book, and I, I get in, I get into that uh, different parts of the uh, book. But it seemed uh, once I opened up that door, and you know, these these were good things that happened to me. Uh, one after another, uh, things started falling in my lap. Uh, so that, that, in a sense, was the practice of some sort of magic unwittingly on uh, my part. Uh, going back, uh, you're asking for my final analysis on uh, <laughs> carrying the Kennedy assassination. And well, and maybe also beyond. I mean, was he crazy? Was he not? I mean... Well, he he was and he wasn't. Uh, it's kind of a crazy uh, wisdom. He went through a, a period of really extreme... Uh, Paranoia, you know, during the uh, 70s, but seemed to uh, get his act uh, together more towards the uh, end of his life. And I think he might have gone on medication as well, at least according to his friend uh, Bob uh, Newport. Um, so, in my mind, Kerry was a very wise man. He went off the uh, deep end a few times, and I, you know, I can. Uh, relate to that. I, I do uh, suspect uh, strongly, though, that his brain was uh, manipulated, and uh, you know, that, that's a good way of discrediting uh, somebody if there were, you know, MKUltra type things going on, manipulating him by uh, intentionally uh, driving him uh, over the edge. Uh, I guess I can leave it like that, but a lot of the other uh, Close friends of uh, Gar uh, of Carrie also believe that uh, something uh, might have happened during the time he was with the uh, Marines of the MK Ultra variety. That 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 makes sense to me, but I don't subscribe to any one theory, uh, you know, fully. Right, right. But you know, I mean, it, we can't prove that you know at that base where he was at that time there were soldiers who were you know, against their will being put to these MK Ultra programs, which is sort of what we're going to get into in the second half of our interview today. Okay. Um, we have a couple of more minutes that we can spend with you in sort of on the, on the Thornley matter. Um, and I wanted to ask you if uh, he had continued to preach the doctrine of Discordianism even in the end of his life, or if he sort of turned against it. <laughs> no, he never uh, turned against it. He... Uh was a Discordian up to the very end. He also got involved with the uh, Church of Subgenius. Oh, we've, we've had Ivan Stang on the show. Yeah. So, yeah, great, great. Well, um, uh, let me ask you, Are you? do you consider yourself a Discordian? Uh, I am a card-carrying uh, Discordian. <laughs> I actually have one of the, uh, you've seen the Discordian uh, cards, right? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. One that actually passed through the hands of uh, Maliclips the Younger, Greg Hill, was passed on to me from... Uh, Luis Lacey, and uh, 
So I adopted my own uh, persona within the Discordian Society, and I am the uh, wrong Reverend Houdini Kundalini of the Church of Unwavering Indifference. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So if, if you are the wrong Reverend, then you could perhaps tell us a little bit about Discordianism. Could you tell us about the uh, original snub and the Law of Fives? <laughs> I'm not good at uh, <laughs> getting into all those. I, my brain... Uh, only hold so much information. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I, could, I couldn't uh, quote the script in uh, verse. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, we, I, won't, I, we I, won't hold you to it then. I encourage the listeners to uh, get a hold of my book and the Principia Discordian. That'll give them a good uh, foundation on uh, the worship of the uh, goddess of chaos and discord. Hail Iris. All hail, hail Discordia. Discordia. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, I guess that's going to wrap up the first half of our interview with you, Adam. Um, you have, you've been great, and we're going to come back in the second half of our interview and talk about some more crazy conspiracy stuff. So, stay tuned to Out There Radio here on WUOG 90.5 FM. That was our interview with Adam Gorightly, author of several books, um, including uh, his newest, which is called The Beast of Adam Gorightly, correct? Collected Rants, 1992-2004, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and it's neat because it's uh, it's the word beast of Adam Gorotley, and it has the the A in the word beast so it's out. kind of like the best. Kind of like the best. Yeah. I thought that was, I think that's clever. I yeah, think. sure. So I hope pretty you guys liked the interview today. Uh, Gorotley seems like a pretty interesting guy, and I guess if you've been listening to Omnisound tonight, you've got a whole lot of him. Yeah, well, next so. week, though, I think we're going to, we talked to him again, uh, the interview, the, the second part of the interview recorded today, and there's some really interesting stuff on that second half. Yeah, it really becomes a total hodgepodge, and yeah. you know me, I'm excited about the uh, James Shelby Downard, King Kill stuff. Oh, yeah. And we definitely get to that. As, amongst uh, other things, Charles Manson, the Beatles, yeah, we end the up Process talking, Church. Yeah, we end up talking to him about stuff that he hasn't written yet or he is currently writing that no one's seen in print yet and all this. So Exactly. Very exactly. interesting. Very interesting. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to stay here and uh, just jabber on all night, but I think we're running out of time. So... Anyway, if you want to give us some feedback about our show, uh, www.wog.org slash out there. Or uh, send us an email, uh, outthereradio at gmail.com. Or send me a instant message at AOL Instant Messenger. Our screen name is Out There Radio. I guess that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week with the second half of our Adam Go Rightly interview and the week after that with our grand season one finale and our last night on WUOG. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. So big we don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> anyway, you guys uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your evening, and thanks for tuning in to Out There Radio. My name is Raymond Wiley. And I'm Joe McFall. We'll thanks for listening. see you next week. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.